0: Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown
0: diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Greetings, podcastonauts, and welcome to the id podcast number 977. I hope you're getting ready for a wonderful holiday. Um, if you celebrate Christmas, great. If you don't... Fine. If you celebrate Festivus, if you just like to go out and look at a tree, if you say, ah, screw all of it, I don't need any of it, whatever it is this time of year, this period of hopefully rebirth, regrowth, assessment, plans for the next year that you'll do some of, who knows, uh, wh- even if it's nothing for you, I hope you enjoy uh, this time, this time of year um, as we start inching closer to the Julian calendar that tells us that time is upon us to shift. Um, If you have an event that you want to have mentioned on the top of the podcast, events at ID10T.com is the email address for that. And I'll say your thing that you made, like Al Casper, who writes... My two best friends and I did a thing. We took our undying love of all things retro gaming and put our never-ending gushing for all things classic into a bi-weekly podcast. We are the Retro Rents, dads who sacrifice sleep to keep playing the games we grew up with and share those games with our children. We're also starting to schedule interviews with game developers of legend to talk about what inspired uh, to make the games we still can't stop talking about. You can find us on all the usual podcast avenues. Just look for the Retro Rents. And join in on the fun, we are highly interactive with our audience, uh, who are just as much a part of our show as the hosts. Well done, Al Caspar. Although it's spelled K-A-S-P-A-R, so maybe it's Al Caspar. It just sounds like an alien who's trying to sound like an earthling. I am Al Caspar. I am Al Caspar, says. Al Caspar says it is time to rejuvenate my cells with a nourishing meal. Thank you, Al Caspar. Ryan writes, I'm launching a blog to give guidance in jewelry buying. I have over 15 years experience in the jewelry industry, retail, custom, and wholesale, and have walked hundreds of people through the jewelry buying process. In my experience, jewelry isn't really on the radar of our geek community until they feel they have to buy something, and people are going in blind. I want to present the buying process in a relatable, entertaining, and respectful way with nerdy pop culture references mixed in. The name of the site is geeksandgold.com. This is the time of year people make big purchases, and this will be the unbiased, open, and honest place for the Jewelry Beginners to Go. Well done, Ryan. Also, um, ID10T has its own Instagram account, which I post on when I get to it. So just follow it and just know that you will not be inundated with stuff because I've been a little lazy about it, TBH. Uh, but I'm, I'm working on it. And then the new ID10T site will hopefully be up uh, soon. And uh, again, send your thing events to ID10T.com. This episode... Is Bob Roth, who is the head of the David Lynch Foundation. Um, You've probably been hearing me talk about TM, Transcendental Meditation, for the past uh, handful of time. And it's whatever your preconceived notions are about it, it's not some goofy culty thing. It's really just about clearing your mind. And so many people I know... I'm finding out or doing it to just keep their thoughts clear, to keep their heads clear, to quiet the clutter in their mind. And um, I've absolutely been loving it. I've been doing it since maybe February of this year is when I started. Uh, I went to the David Lynch Foundation and met with an amazing woman named Lynn Kaplan who taught me how to do it. Um, And uh, you should definitely, uh, if it's something that you're interested in or even just are curious about, then uh, go online, look up, look up whatever you can, find out uh, at davidlynchfoundation.org and get started. Just explore it. What's it going to hurt? Especially as we're heading into the new year. Maybe you want to learn how to be calmer or less reactive or just more mindful or whatever it is. But it's incredibly easy to do uh, and feels incredibly personal. And this guest, Bob Roth, um, wrote the book Strength and Stillness. Uh, which is kind of one of the the go-to books for understanding Transcendental Meditation from a beginner level and getting interested. He's such a sweet man with such a wonderful presence. And I was in New York at the beginning of November and just I threw a Hail Mary pass to Lynn Kaplan. I said, hey, I'm going to be in New York. Do you think Bob would want to do the podcast? And the next day she wrote back and said, he's in. So I went to his office. He was beyond awesome. Just a lovely, lovely guy with so much great information, so thoughtful, he really kind of almost interviews me because he's such a student of humanity and he seems to love people. he really kind of wanted to know what some of my journey was so there there's a little bit of me kind of talking about my experience but also but but he gets a lot of great information and stories and metaphors and He's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. So pick up his book, Strength and Stillness, if it's uh, if it's something that that you're into, and then um, you know uh, David Lynch Foundation dot org, and then at the end of the this did not make it into the podcast, but I almost like cried when this happened. Uh, and if you've been studying TM, or if you start studying TM, maybe you'll understand why this was meaningful. But we wrapped up. I put all the podcast equipment away. the po- The podcast recording equipment it was okay. I didn't necessarily have the best setup because it was very very mobile. Um, but but I think it still sounds okay. So at the end, I I pack everything up, and uh, he says, uh, "Oh, um, before you go, do you want to do a meditation?" I was like, oh, "What? Me? You and me? Of course." So he says, I'll "Tell you what." I got to run out to a meeting, but I'm going to get you started. I'm going to give you some instruction. And I mean, this guy's been instructing people since the 1960s. I mean, this was legendary to have this experience. So um, he, I, he gives me a blanket. He had a blanket in his office and a pillow. And he says, like, lean your head back on this nice fuzzy blanket. Lean back in the chair. He gave me some wonderful, wonderful advice to sort of talk me through the beginning of it, some insight, some wonderful instruction. Um, and then just as I started to drift off, it started raining up against the glass windows of the building uh, in in his office in in Midtown. And it was just one of the most magical experiences. And I completely just disappeared for 20 minutes. And the next thing I knew, he came in and he started... talking me out of it pulling me out of it um and it was just such a magical wonderful special thing that is uh just tucked away in the locker of my heart um as one of my favorite things that I've ever gotten to to be a part of so thank you so much to Bob Roth and to Lynn Kaplan and the David Lynch Foundation and uh and I hope that if you hear this you were inspired to to look into it uh just to make you uh a better and more effective you uh and be more true to uh you know, what you deserve, which is to be kind to yourself and to have positive experiences and to be the best version of you. So here is the ID10T podcast number 977 with Bob Roth. Initiating ID10T protocol. You know, this isn't the best thing. you set want to put something put that on? Or I will just put that on the have bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can <could> just, <laughs> just knock it knock down. It off. <laughs> sorry. I'm <laughs> It's sorry. not what I would have expected. Yeah, that's not what I meant. Well, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah. Nice guy. Real, but nice guy. Really violent. Vicious. Like, right off the vicious, bat. Like, vicious. Broke the equipment. Who yeah. knew? No idea. You guys like a fraud. You know, it's, it's interesting to me to see you in person with your voice coming out of your body because I've heard your voice, you know, a lot, like as I listen to the audio book because oh. you know, I'm in LA and I spend a lot of time yeah. in traffic. Uh, but then just hearing, did your... you fall asleep from the audio? I did not fall. No, I, I did not fall asleep in traffic. <laughs> I was very concerned.
1: So when I give introductory talks, like at eight o'clock at night, it was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so introductory, introductory
0: at eight o'clock at night yeah, It doesn't work. It's and it really just sort of depends. Well, yeah, but aren't aren't the people that you're talking to like just hyper stressed? Yeah, but then they go. Uh, then they relax. So um, I try talking louder because I, yeah. g- I
1: got to get some more. Ch- anyway. They're okay, Wake up! Yeah. Now we're going <laughs> to close right. our eyes. So tell me about. Uh, I could interview you. you. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, that's fine. That's h- just a conversation. How did you hear about TM? So, so I've been hearing about it. I've. Um, I've been tell hearing me about your background. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, uh, my family moved a lot, and I did. Military a lot of friends. Yeah. No, my dad was a professional bowler. Oh, my p- God, that's a whole podcast right there. I mean, I've talked about it endlessly, and I'm sure people who listen to this podcast have heard more about bowling than they ever want to hear in their entire life. you entirely. a bowler? Well, I'm not going to brag, but yes. Have you, it's from 300 games? No, I haven't done that. Did your dad? My dad had the record for 300 games. He was in the Guinness Book for ages.
1: Your last name is? Hardwick. I I think I, because I used to watch
0: bowling on he Saturday was on, afternoon. My dad was on Saturdays. Saturday afternoon, Yeah, just...
1: I thought it was just me watching.
0: Billy Hardwick, my dad, was a professional bowler. Yeah. So we moved a lot and, you know, uh, just a pretty probably standard, uh, you know, stand-up comedian, stressy, anxious. And I have a lot of friends who are... So I think the comedians of the 80s and before were mostly on drugs, except for Jerry Seinfeld. And then, uh, and the comedians now are mostly sober and into meditation. Yeah, and, you know. yeah, yeah, look at them all.
1: Yeah. I mean, the list, of numbers, the list of people that I've taught and there's many others.
0: Yeah, we, we like Why it. Why is that? Because our, we have very active internal monologues. And the, and the internal monologues, first of all, you don't realize you can control or ignore it because it's the inside of your head talking. And number two, it usually says bad things to you you know it, it just puts you down or tells you why you're self-deprecating yeah, yeah. tells you why you're a piece of crap and so it i think a lot of performers and comedians are finding tm because they just want ways to quiet that voice without taking drugs or drinking or sex addiction or whatever it is that they're trying to distract you know now social media you know whatever it is to try to shut that voice off so i think that's probably why but i've i had a couple of friends who uh, I just asked, like sober friends, I've been sober 15 years, I have other friends who are sober, okay, I asked that's them. great. Yeah, and then and my friend Joe Manganello was the, he was the, he was the, the guy that, that pulled all the boulders off the mountain for me. Mm-hmm. He finally, he was like the last of like five guys, five mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, I've been doing TM, you know, it's like I just, I just shut my eyes and I just... You know, it just, and I go, okay, I gotta do this. So I went to your, uh, How long I met ago with Lynn that? Kaplan. How long and, ago was that? Um, probably about eight months ago now. And instantly fell in love with it. So, what,
1: had you ever tried meditating before?
0: No, and in your book, it, I had a lot of the preconceived notions that most people probably have, which is it's hard to understand what it means to not do anything. <laughs> that i i guess I, ex- I thought meditation was like oh you have to just like you're going to sit there and clench your fist and you got to meditate so hard what if i'm not doing it right and it's like oh no this is literally designed isn't it great how easy it is yes that's the
1: thing that people people come into because i've been teaching this forever and they have all these preconceptions of what meditation is or should be or is that going yeah right? it's going you know, should be or whatever and then they open their eyes after
0: the first thing really yeah i know but i also I, I, You know, I also blame the word transcendental meditation a little bit. Sounds, tell me why, tell me why. Because it sound I think, to, to people who have no idea what it is, it sounds hippy dippy. It sounds like '60s, and you're in, ro- you know, it's no, and like also trance. There's like yeah. trance.
1: Yeah, whereas it, the the word, the root of it is transcendent. Right. Tra- people love a transcendent experience. Of course they do. You have it when you hold a newborn child in your arms. In sports, there's that zone? Listening to music, probably the flow when you're really on. When you're comedy, yes. you ever had that? Before? Yes. Yeah. It, it's sort of unfortunate because people go. I thought so. Well, meditation is weird, but transcendental meditation is like even weirder.
0: Yeah, it's almost it's almost like you know, if it were called like zone breathing or yeah. something, people go, oh, "I got to do that" because it—you yeah. know—sounds like something
1: you'd see on an infomercial. But it's starting to change, I have to say. Absolutely, it, because people will call up and I say, "You know, I've tried mindfulness. I've tried these different things, but I want that trend, tra- whatever that tra- that I want that
0: yeah. one." and also you know, when you explain to people who have no idea what it is, they're like, oh, well, is it like a cult? And you're like, no, it's not <laughs> at all. It's not It's not religious. It's yeah, not anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really just, you know, quieting your mind. And and and, I, and the way that I've been explaining it to people is, you know, most of your day, what you do to your brain is like if you went into a gym and just did curls for like 12 hours. And you wouldn't be able to lift your arms, but instead of resting, you just... Kept curling, yeah. and it's like it's just the same thing. You have to take breaks that's to beautiful. build muscle. That's fabulous, and so that's sort yeah, of the yeah. Same. You have to take
1: breaks to build muscle.
0: That's exactly right. And they
1: actually find even sleep. The, what happens during sleep is that if you're trying to memorize something, that it actually what you're trying to memorize. If you get a good night's sleep, it metabolizes. You actually integrate it into your memory right. with rest. And so TM just gives the body deeper state of rest.
0: Yeah, and with you, there's so many things that I you know because you're. The Serious show, it's, which is so perfectly named the Success Without Stress, which is exactly what I think a lot of us, a lot of people, are, are trying to achieve. Because you, we get this idea in our head that success will make us happy and success will solve X, Y, and Z. And it does solve some things, but it also. You don't ever envision the other host of issues that it brings up, or how the toll that it will take on you, or how much stress. Tell me about the toll that it takes on you. Well, the toll just being, you know, re, re, more responsibility is more things to think about, more things to mess up, you know. Higher stakes. Higher stakes. Then once you have the success, oh, I don't want to lose it, you know, yeah. so people get very protective and they get very scared. And, it's, and also, I think when people get out of their... You know, I think people kind of have a comfort zone of wherever they think they deserve. And if they get below or above that, they freak out. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's a good insight. It's true. It's, I, and they I lose that. themselves. They lose themselves. And then this thing that they thought was supposed to solve them doesn't solve them, which creates even more stress. Like, why am I not better? I have these all these things I thought I wanted. And then, you know... It's not hard to see why people just go into a steep slide of a crash or drugs or whatever. And the other thing is that I think a lot of those people,
1: because I teach some of them, is that there's a guilt. Like, Wait a minute, I've got all this fame, or I've got all this money, or I've got all this power, all this influence. I'm not happy. As right. a matter of fact, it's not even not happy. The anxiety and the stress, that the, the toll it took them to get to that point, now when they've got it, they're not themselves not they're just they are joyful There's... No, don't joke because they're stressed out by their own admittance. they can't sleep they're anxious all the time
0: and so it's it's uh... had you tried any other form of meditation I you know I, d- I did what a lot of people do which is I downloaded like the headspace app or the mind My- or you know di- different apps thinking like I'm gonna get to this I'm gonna get to this but like so many things in life I think people th- Think it's more of a thing than it is. Oh, I have to. What do I have to get? Like a. Do I have to have a a, a meditation pillow and a and a quiet room and incense and you know dimmed light? You can, but you don't have to. There's really no. I meditate in the back seat of taxis. I've
1: meditated at Yankee Stadium. You can meditate anywhere. Where you close your eyes and sit comfortably. How
0: do you how do you meditate at Yankee Stadium? It was a boring game. <laughs> <laughs> it was a beautiful summer <laughs> afternoon.
1: It was a boring game. I moved. Out. There weren't that many people. I moved out to the like the left field down the left field line, and it was four in the afternoon. And I really wanted to meditate because I was going right out. And, you know, the thing is, you hear the music, you hear the, there wasn't any cheering, it was a bad game, but in between innings. And you just meditate. And as you know, every experience is different. Yes. You're not trying to, and there's this beautiful, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi is a physicist who became a great meditation teacher, but his training was physicist. And someone asked him once, they had learned to meditate. And he said, well, you know, some meditations feel deeper and some meditations are more on the surface. Are the deeper ones better? And he said they're both they're both good. And the guy said, "How's that possible?" And she said, "Because even in a shallow dive, we get wet."
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a very yeah. That's a very yogi thing to say, yeah. and it's oh. true
1: though. So I just yeah, I just did it, and it's not the same as if I was in my room in my on my sitting up in my bed or sitting in a chair. But it was a heck of a lot better than not doing it.
0: Well, I think it's also again because I, I, I've talked about this with a lot of my friends too. It's more the sum total. Yes, it's not cumulative. It's cumulative, and yes. so it's it doesn't. You know, if you're, if you're putting too much strain on the, what it's supposed to feel like, I think that's a sign that you're too result-oriented. Uh, and, and you're not doing TM. And you're not doing TM because you're, you're, not, you're not just sort of moving with it. Uh, and, and so it does – I think that's important for people to know too, which is why I think rather than just grabbing an app, you know, either reading your book or, or doing a little bit of research online to just sort of get a, a better sense – because once you understand what it is, then it, it just solves all of those other things that crowd your brain that get in the way. Can I, I'll give an explanation? Yes, please. Okay,
1: so I like to use an analogy. You're on a little boat, and you're in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden you've got these huge 30, 40, 50-foot high waves. And you could think, oh, my God, the whole ocean is in upheaval. But if you did a cross-section of that ocean out there, you'd realize you got these 30-foot waves, but the ocean in reality is over a mile deep. And while the surface of the ocean may be turbulent, the depth of the ocean, by its nature, is pretty darn silent.
0: Except for comedians who, in their brains, have sea monsters down at the bottom, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, of course. <laughs> but these are actually the quietest below
1: the sea monster. Yes. So the whole purpose of meditation throughout the ages has been to, quote unquote, bring equanimity to the mind. For the longest time, researchers thought all meditations were the same, but it turns out they're not. There's three basic types. The f- I'll go into that. Please. First type is called focused attention. And that's your classic at the end of a yoga class the guy the woman or the guy says, "Okay, now we're going to meditate, clear your mind of thoughts." Mm-hmm. And I, when I heard that, I thought, "Okay, then I'll p- create peace in the Middle East." <laughs> because I got a very busy mind. Right. And that's like trying to forcibly stop the waves on the surface of the ocean to bring calm. Create if you want a calm mind stop thinking. If you want a calm ocean stop stop waves very hard to do but when you do it brain research shows that it creates something called science alert here gamma brain waves which are 20 to 50 cycles per second and it just shows you're working really hard second type of meditation is mindfulness open monitoring that in that ocean analogy it's learning to observe the waves rise and fall dispassionately not getting too excited when the wave is high not getting too depressed when the wave is low so we learn how to observe our thoughts, observe our breath, be in the moment. Right. And in the moment is a degree, hopefully, of some equanimity. Science alert, when you do that, it creates theta brainwaves, which are like pre-onset dream. Transcendental meditation, completely different. Now it gets interesting again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> People do like the science okay. alerts, by All the right. way. So, okay. So
1: um, in, this, in this, see, the first two are what's called... I love this stuff, actually. Cognitive processes. Mm -hmm. Focused attention and open monitoring. That cognitive process means pertaining to thoughts, feelings, and emotions. The waves. How to adapt and adjust to the waves so that you feel some calm. In transcendental meditation, those things are fine. We just leave them as they are. We hypothesize. There's no belief system here. We hypothesize that deep within every human being, Right now is a level where the mind is already settled and calm and wide awake. That's the hypothesis, even below the sea monsters, (laughs) way in there. It's there we've lost access to it. Sometimes we access it in sports, when you're performing, the zone. Again, you're holding a child in your arms, in a relationship, a partner. There's a moment of unity, something very special you never forget. But it's rare, in Transcendental Meditation, we learn a technique to access that vertical dimension of the mind, that inner quiet and calm, move in that direction. Obviously, as you know, that doesn't happen in every or most meditations, but in mo- the word transcend means to settle down, to go from that choppy surface What level of the ocean, a little calmer, a little calmer, deeper, deeper. And when that happens, science alert, <laughs> final science alert, The brainwave activity, electrical activity of the brain, complete change, something called alpha one, which is like the perfect state of eight to ten cycles per second where the mind is deeply settled. You can still have thoughts, but deeply settled and wide awake. And that is the perfect state after meditation for creativity, for learning, for listening, for being present, because it's a settled, wide awake, energized mind and that that's what and then there's something called neuroplasticity the brain waves that happen the, the connections that take place during your tm in the brain last out of the brain
0: after the after the meditation which is why you and you do it twice a day yeah i try to do it twice a day you do the best you can i do the best i can you do the
1: best you can do you I, do
0: mornings regularly or afternoon? i do mornings right after i wake up perfect and uh, because I was told that if you do it after you eat, like it, it's the digestion process can yeah, get in the it's, way it's a little bit. Yeah, it's a stimulant.
1: Bit. Digesting is like raises your metabolic rate. And during TM, your metabolic rate wants to settle down.
0: And then when I can, I'll try to do it in the late afternoon, you know, before dinner or before, you know.
1: Jerry Seinfeld, you mentioned him. He, he had been meditating. Uh, well, he started when he was 17. So he'd been meditating about 40 years. And I got a call that he wanted me to teach um, his wife and his kids. And um, so I was teaching him, and, and it takes about an hour a day over four consecutive days, as you know. And after one meeting, um, he joined us in the kitchen. I taught him at his house. And I said, so you do your um, morning meditation at when you wake up, and then your afternoon meditation sometime before dinner. And he said, there's two meditations? <laughs> he had forgotten. He'd only been doing one. So he started his second one, just squeezed it in, and he said... He said it's worth two hours of sleep. And he said if he was still doing twice, if he had done twice a day before Seinfeld would still be on the air, it has been a complete game changer for him. Because he says for him, the most important, he said you can have the most creative ideas if you don't have the energy to do it a clear, crystal clear, sustained, laser-like energy, you can't get anything done.
0: No, no, no. Or you'll shoot a lot of the ideas down. That's like, right. oh, I just yeah. can't. I don't want to be bothered. And
1: that's what it. he said the second meditation. This is a
0: subtle hint. The <laughs> <laughs> that was a listener. It's that was a enough subtle enough hint. <laughs> subtle hint alert. Yeah. It's good enough for Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Well, also because a lot of people will say, like, why well, don't I have time to do And, like, the I don't have time argument always drives me a little crazy because I feel like you, have t- you can prioritize anything that is meaningful to you, you know, for the most part. Um, I mean, you know, when I was in college, I was broke, but I always had money for drinking, you know what I mean? Like, how did I do that? I don't know. But but you you, you find whatever is important to you. So if you can make it a part of your
1: routine... Somebody told me once, they said, there's 1,440 minutes in a day. (laughs) If you don't have 40 minutes to take care of yourself in a profound way, he said... You need to pri- reprioritize. There's an ancient meditation thing that said, if you don't have
0: 20 minutes to meditate, then you need to meditate for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people now are such, like, we're, we're so addicted to distraction and busyness. Like, we say we're busy, but I feel like we're not really doing, like, most of the time, we're not really doing anything. Like, I think if most people really sort of looked at how much time they spend on their devices all day. It's like, was all of that, you know, could you cut oh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just 20 or 40 minutes out of that?
1: And the thing is also is when, when you have meditated, it sharpens the mind so you get more done in less time. You're not distracted. You don't make so many mistakes and you don't need so many distractions because your mind is more settled. But I also think we're coming to a point now. Someone asked me, why is there so much interest in TM these days? And I said, there's three reasons. The problem of stress is real, 24-7, unrelenting, the political climate. It's killing our kids Mm -hmm. more than even us, but it's devastating. And the kind of stresses that we're collecting now in our 20s and 30s and 40s, that's actually, when they look at people who have Alzheimer's or high blood pressure, it started in the 20s. Wow. It didn't start, if they're 70, it didn't start at 65. It's a gradual residue that builds up and builds up and builds up. And we all find it inside ourselves. You know, we're not as resilient as we used to be. Those people pushing our buttons more than they used to. I'm not sleeping as well as I used to. You know, just people know that. Or I need more cups of coffee or more glasses of wine. And so the problem of stress is quite severe. And our understanding of what it does to us is quite gruesome. Um, also, secondly, there, as I said, there's no, there's no pill. Right. There's no pill we can take. Right. And then the third reason is there's so much research now on TM. Just this week, or next week the, week, the week of November 15th, one of the top medical journals in the world called Lancet Psychiatry is coming out with a major story study on transcendental meditation for vets who have post-traumatic stress. And it shows that TM is more effective than anything that the VA has ever used, from medications to therapy to prolonged exposure to mindfulness, more effective. And I think within a few years, there's 700,000 vets with post-traumatic stress disorder. I think within three years, they'll all be able to learn TM for free.
0: Well, and it's also learning how to not be reactive. Like most people, you know, again, I think we, we're being conditioned on social media that we, it's not only a... Uh, It's not only like a right to react to everything, but it's our duty to react (laughs) to everything on, you know, at set to 11. And we're taking that out into the real world, too. And again, I I just think there's so much information that we're trying to process that, that never in the history of mankind have we ever had to process this much information at once. And we're just overstimulated. Our brains can't process all of it no every single and, day uh, and
1: the, the ones who can handle it the least are the kids yeah who are subject to the same input the same 24-7 did you know that the it's a horrible statistic the number two cause of death among teenagers in America today is suicide Jesus and that um, the fastest rate within that are girls 13 to 16 because they're cyber bullying all this stuff the world because their brains the frontal lobe which is the sort of adult brain which is the prefrontal cortex, the size of your fist right behind the forehead, that doesn't start coming online, and that's judgment and planning and decision-making, really until a child is 12, 13, 14, and doesn't finish coming online until the person is 26. So that ability to discriminate, to discern, to say, oh, you know, mommy and daddy are fighting, it's not my fault, but the kid thinks it's my fault. So, you know, it's like everything is, it's such an internalized Oh, and then that just
0: gets cemented in there. Cemented. And then, and then (laughs) that's what you go to therapy for in your 30s
1: and 40s. It's called an, they call it ACE, adverse childhood experience. A divorce, parents fighting, somebody in the family taking serious drugs. They say three ACEs, three adverse childhood experiences is a, as a pipeline to either um, drug abuse psychiatric, di- you know, mental health disorders, even violence, crime, because the child, it's, it's, it's scarring the brain at an early age. That's why I work, I help head up the David Lynch Foundation, which is started by the filmmaker David Lynch, and we established it 14 years ago with the idea of bringing TM to every at-risk child in America who would like to learn to meditate. Well, it's taken us 14 years, but now we're at a million kids. we've Wow. Taught. And that's not just in the U.S., but in Latin America, in the Middle East. Our office, where we are right now, is two blocks away from the United Nations. We're talking to them about bringing TM to a million Syrian refugees. I I think this is a medical intervention. So not only is it not a cult or something weird, it's actually an effective medical intervention that can address very serious problems that are uh, either caused by stress or exacerbated by stress. Yeah,
0: and also... You know, people tend to be motivated to action when they, when they hit, not necessarily when they hit bottom, but when something happens that so profoundly affects them. And I feel, I'm sure a lot of people feel that now, but also maybe don't necessarily wait until that happens. What, you know? what, what was going on in your life that you decided? Oh, I just felt overstimulated. Like, I just felt I was, I was working on a million things in a million directions <laughs> you know, more successful than I ever thought I would be. And it was exactly where it's like. I I wasn't necessarily... I wasn't feeling joyful. I was just feeling overstressed. Like, ah, now I gotta be here, and I gotta do this, and I gotta not screw this up, and then this is happening. And what's this over there? Like, they're just... It was just like, you know, my brain was a utility closet and there was just no more room. There was no more room for anything. And so... By then, the way, by the way, excuse
1: me, dear listener. My brain was a utility closet, and there was no more room. It's an excellent <laughs> that's, visual. That's what it that's felt an like. Excellent visual. It's just I like, like to think of a rag bag for myself, <laughs> but I think a utility is a little more dignified to have a utility. And
0: also, box. anything can go in it. And <laughs> yeah. You don't know what, you don't know what's in there. You know, it's yeah. probably a bowling ball in my case, yeah. and then some you know movie props and a bunch of stuff. But but you know, there's just and so then what was happening is that I just felt like oh well, I'm not necessarily being present for life. Or the people that, you know, I've only yeah. really been married for two years. Like I need to, what do I do? Like how do I, I felt like my, felt like my brain was in a knot, several knots, knots on knots. And I couldn't get it to unknot. And so I just, I had enough painful motivation of I need to do something. And so, you know, that's why I just say to people, like, just, even if the idea is that you feel more exhausted every day than you think you should... Or even if you think you should feel exhausted, wouldn't it be nice to just feel a little less exhausted all day? Like, even if it's a small percentage, isn't it worth it? Yeah.
1: And it's it's like such a simple, in a, you know, such an easy... That's another thing. So many meditations, when I was talking about those three types, yeah. focused attention, and it's difficult to try and clear the mind of thoughts. It's difficult. Transcendental meditation... It's, it's, I like to think of it as it's as effortless you teach a child how to dive you say honey stand you know, lean over stand by the side of the pool lean over like that take the correct angle and then let go and then gravity takes over so in transcendental meditation the mind is naturally drawn to something more satisfying many people in meditation I think misunderstanding oh it's a monkey mind you've got to stop your mind from wandering you've got to corral the monkey mind and that's not the case mind doesn't wander, wander aimlessly You're sitting in a room and you're doing some wretched, boring work. And in the other room, a phenomenal song comes on. Your attention is just drawn to that beautiful music, fabulous music. Or you go on a vacation and you bring two books. And one book should never have been published. It's a blight against mankind. You can't (laughs) read a word. The other book is just killer. Hours go by. So your mind, uh, by its own nature, will go to something more satisfying. But the problem is, it's always out through the senses. Oh, that job will make me happy. That restaurant will make me happy. That concert will make me happy. That gig will make me happy. But it doesn't last. Right. Inside, if there's an inside, we hypothesize, my own quiet self, very satisfying place. So in transcendental meditation, like that dive, we learn how to give the attention of the mind an inward direction and just effortlessly we settle down. And what do you feel most? Rest. Physic, right? You feel physical rest.
0: With yeah, and, and it's also... It's, and then, uh, there, there are also other um, ancillary effects, I think, which, in, which are that it's empowering to know that in an uncontrollable world, you can still control those... Like, you, you can control that you, these, these 20 minutes, I'm going to do this thing, and I know, you know, I know what the result is going to be. There's this
1: great thing. I was in my book, I was doing some research... For my book, um, I was doing some research, and they say... Stress, there's actually three components to stress. There are stressors, things we have no control over. Political change, social change, economic change, relationships change, child gets sick, wife, you know, upset, all partner upset, all these. Those are stressors. Those are outside overwhelming experiences. The thing we have control over, they call the stress response. How do I react to those things? Right. If I'm exhausted, beaten down, worn out, not eating well, just and something somebody writes me ten words, on a, snarky words on a text message, and I thought they were my friend, and I see those ten words. <laughs> now, if I'm on top of my game, I read those ten words. I go, oh, she must have not felt well. Right. So that's the thing you have control over: how I react. Right. And when I can't, re- when I'm overwhelmed, that creates the stress, and that hits me. On the muscles, my muscles get tense, my jaw tightens up, or I get a headache, or my stomach tightens up, or is this too much detail? No, okay, it's perfect. Cortisol levels—that's the stress hormone. It's a science alert. <laughs> <laughs> cortisol is a stress hormone that's secreted by the uh, uh, adrenal glands that sit on top of the kidneys. When we're overwhelmed, the body secretes cortisol to sort of so we react. Right. Well, and then, but it makes us anxious, nervous. And then we secrete more cortisol and more anxiety and more cortisol and more anxiety. And too much cortisol, which we, most people have, it shuts down memory. It compromises the immune system. That's why if a person is stressed, they get sick a lot. It doesn't allow us to digest food, so it's a disaster. And the third, so the first is tension, the second is cortisol, and the third is it actually shuts down, takes offline the executive functioning of your brain. Does a stressed person make good decisions? No. No, because that part of the brain is offline.
0: Well, because when you, you know, if you were being chased by a lion, you don't always, you know, like, historically, you yeah. wouldn't stop to assess the lion's yeah. state of mind. Wow, that, it, that's a, that's oh, that's about a okay. 195-pound what if lion. if he wants to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. about it, you know, it's like you just have to react. You have to react. No, you have to run. That
1: shuts down. All the blood and the energy and everything goes to your muscles to run. The problem is we react to that for nothing, so we're overreacting to to for nothing. And the problem problem of that is it kills us when the when the body is hyperactivated, when the amygdala, which is the part of your brain which is your fight or flight, yep. is cu- is chronically over re- overactivated, and it leads to high levels. Sixty million Americans with depression, and a lot of younger people a lot of millennials, because it gets internalized. Anxiety, depression. So the point of all this is transcendental meditation that I don't think is a luxury. It's not just for people on the Upper East Side or Beverly Hills or whatever. This is something for, it's a tool to access a mechanism of profound rest and rejuvenation at will. And so, just going back again with the David Lynch Foundation, I, I think the work that we're doing and the research that's coming out, I think in a few years, TM is going to be offered in all the insur- insurance coverage.
0: Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, you know, it's going to happen. That would really be amazing. And you you think that's, that's brewing right now? Oh, no, because all
1: the – and the reason for it is, the reason why a medication gets covered by an insurance company is that that medication, even with its hazard – many have hazardous side effects – has been subjected to what's called a phase three clinical trial. That's with a thousand people, randomized control trial in three or four different parts of the country, and it's independent research. And when that shows that that lowers high blood pressure or lowers co- cholesterol or whatever, then that's sufficient for the government to reimburse in Medicare or for Aetna to reimburse with insurance. Transcendental Meditation, we're just fine, starting those phase three trials. And within two or three years, It'll be the same thing. it'll be seen as a medical intervention for physical
0: health, for mental health. Absolutely. I, this, a lot of what you're saying is intersects with I've been reading a lot of stoic philosophy. and oh, it, tell me about it. Well, just the, just exactly what you were saying before about you know placing value externally versus like you know, well, what you control is how you interpret things, how you react to things. And there, there is a parallel between why I think we're, there, there's an explosion of TM. You know, historically, stoicism tends to pop back up during periods of stress because people are just like, What do I do? What am I doing? What is happening? You know, and we're definitely in a, What, what am I doing? What is happening? And, and besides the fact that I think the world is a particularly plazy, crazy place right now, we're so hyper aware of all of it more so than at any other time. And so then that elevates all of it as well.
1: Um- I I taught this one um, Muslim cleric, I was in the Middle East, and, you know, he he was a devout Muslim, and he learned TM, and he loved it, and he said, you know, five years ago, I I never would have done this. And I said, why? He said, because mistakenly, I would have thought it would be opposed to my religion. And I said, "Well, why did you?" He said, "I know it's not now." But I said, "Well, why did you learn?" He said, "Because I haven't slept in five years." Oh my God! So he started meditating, and then he got to, he slept, and yeah. then he loved. You know, and he became a better Muslim, healthier. Um, and there's in the ancient texts they talk about. There's two. There's a... a, a, Why why do people get on a path to take care of themselves to meditate? One is called the yoga of enlightenment. And that is, oh, I want to learn to meditate because I'm already creative, but I want to be more creative and I'm happy. And the other is called the yoga of desperation. (laughs) I know that one. Yeah. And that's (laughs) why most people start... Yeah, because no one wants to suffer. No one wants to have headaches. No one wants to, you know, be go out with friends and be distracted or be with your child and you're not really with your child or have all this comfort around you and, and feel depressed or anxious or nobody wants it. And so, and medicine isn't giving us a magic, there's no polio vaccine amongst medicine. So people are looking to Tia.
0: Yeah, in, I mean, not, I don't think there's any drug that wouldn't have enormous side effects. That's the problem. Do. It's like, yeah, and then people are taking these cocktails of drugs because one gets them too up, and so they have to come down, and then yeah. another one. And then, you know, people are taking three, four, five different medications at the same time just to try to get even. And, you know, obviously there are certain cases where people definitely need to take um, uh, medications to stabilize. <laughs> but I think more people... I think there are more people on medications than necessarily need to be on medications if people could understand different techniques for sort of quieting, and certainly in the creative communities, you know. Because in, in creative communities, it's not just the creation part of the brain, but it's also the judgment part of the brain and the external judgment part of the brain. And being able to see being judged in real time, I mean, they're just things that our poor, frail human psyches just it's it's just too much for us you know so can i do another science alert uh, you can do as many science <laughs> alerts as you want now it's a thing yeah. and i'm going to now that you're saying that's going to be my ringtone <laughs> so it's fine
1: <clears throat> so creativity and the people we were talking about all the comedians and artists and performers who practice TM. and and for some of them for who've been doing it for a long time whether it's a jerry seinfeld or a howard stern for 45 years or um, uh, Paul McCartney as an entertainer or Ringo people who've been got to the top and stayed at the top which is really tough and they credit meditation TM for that. And so I was very interested in the parts of the brain that are related to creativity. And they used to think they used to think that oh you're a creative type you're a right brain person. Remember that? Right. Oh, you're right. yeah. and if you're the number cruncher and you're the scientist well I'm a left brain. You know, I don't go along with that Nonsense! I'm a left-brain person. Well, it turns out that's not true. It turns out that creativity is not lodged in a region of the brain. Creativity is a product of connections within networks in the brain. Because the back and the front and all the different parts of the brain communicating together is what brings out creativity. And there's two main networks. Is this interesting? Yes. Okay, there's two main networks. One is called... We talked about it before. It's the attention network or the prefrontal cortex, and that is executive functioning, and that's judgment and decision-making and planning, and that's focus. You know, it's like pen to paper. You've been, you, you know, getting it down, getting it, but you've got a book, or you got some product, get... Now, that's where the brain is really working hard to focus. So the scientists wondered, well, what's the brain doing when we're not focused, when we're not burning the midnight oil? What does the brain default to? So they came up with a very innovative name for that. what the brain does. They called it the default mode network.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. How yeah. how they, came they up possibly? With, I have
1: no idea. I mean, there must have been committees yeah. of people. <laughs> no, they, 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 they had focus groups. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go home. Can we just call it the default? I'm running? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm tired yeah, too. Okay. Yeah. So they thought it was just this sort of not, the brain was doing nothing. Well, it turns out. It's also, the, if they now have renamed it the imagination network, it's the part of the brain, it's like when you blue sky, when you brainstorm, mm-hmm. when you're taking a hot shower and then a great ideas come, when you're out for a walk. It's the part of the brain that's not structured and focused. And and, and the attention network, or the, the the focus part is in the front of the brain. This imagination network is actually in the center of the brain. And it connects... Your past experiences, your future plans, your sense of self, and that's where good ideas bubble up. Now, stress knocks them both out. Just, to, you know, oh, so, you know, if you're too stressed, you, can't, you don't get those creative ideas. If you're too stressed, you can't focus. Too stressed. Most people, getting around to TM here, most people have either the ability in the creative process to focus. Or brainstorm, one or the other. There's a part of the brain that shuts down the, that, the brainstorm, so you can focus and vice versa. study that was done, it was published um, January 2018, and you can read it online, go to Google, and you can look up imagination network, creativity. The most creative people in the world have both networks functioning simultaneously in an integrated way. The ability to focus and pivot.
0: Is that learned?
1: Transcendental meditation is one of the few things they've ever found that wakes up both those networks in the brain.
0: Yeah, because I, and, and I also think it's important to, to define what stress is. Because I think people, I think colloquially stress means something, something bad happened. Oh, I'm in trouble at work. But I think stress is just stuff. Stress is just anything too that much stuff. taxes your yes, – that's the, right. The, the asking your brain to perform a task. People win a lottery and die of a heart attack. Of course they do. Yeah. 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 So it's just, it's just too much. It's just too much. So that's why people say like, well, I have everything I want. Why am I stressed? Why am I stressed? It's like, well, you, you have a lot. It's just stuff. There's just yes. a lot of stuff. And what you're talking about with the network sounds like the difference between saying, I'm going to get from downtown to uptown at 5 p.m. on a Friday versus – I'm going to drive across town on Christmas Day yeah. when there's no cars. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Just, it's, it's, it, it's just finding a technique to clear out all the traffic. And
1: what TM does is that you could say effortlessly exercises those creative networks in the brain. Mm-hmm. If you didn't do that, if you don't, don't do that, then you're not as creative as you could be. You want to pick up a heavy box. If you haven't exercised the muscles, you can't pick. You can want, you can't pick up the box. You exercise the muscles, pick up the box. Right. You want to be creative. You want to be innovative. You want to pivot. You want to be able to go. You've got. You're doing stand up, and you've got your your thirty minutes of material. Some guy in the audience yells out something. Bam! You're off. You're off on that one. Right. As opposed to oh, I can't handle that, right. and that's it. So that's what that is. And so I look at TM as just. It's just connections in the brain.
0: Yeah, and and also, I mean, as I'd imagine that most people, especially most people listening to this podcast, just feel like they have they're no hitting idea what no- we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a pretty decent idea, of, <laughs> but uh, I, it's it, you know people just feel like they're they're li- it just in their lives they're just hitting a wall. Yeah, they're just hitting a wall. Whether bad things are happening, whether good things are happening, whether nothing is happening, they just they're just hitting that wall. And I just think that is symptomatic of. D- d- being you're just taxing your brain too much and that it can be just as simple and what, as yes relax-
1: and what you're taxing your brain is the particularly the focus part you're just wearing yourself out focus focus trying trying pushing 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 and that's why you know if you have a child and they're getting stressed out on a homework project you say you know little jimmy or little janet you know let's let's go out to dinner let's go for a walk let's go for a swim or, you, th- you know, your partner says, eh, let's go away for the weekend. This, th- it's counterproductive. Yeah. Because when you f- strain and focus too much, push too hard, it ends up shutting down that part, of, like, taking that part of the brain offline, and it suppresses the imagination network. So if you want to look at something like TM for just reducing cortisol levels by 30%, fine. But I think looking at what it does for, like just awakening the connections in the brain for creativity. It's not magic.
0: I mean, for you, because there there was a gray area that I didn't, because this is a big leap, but you learned TM at Berkeley, is that right? When you were like 17? And then it says... I'm now 21. And then, yeah, (laughs) you've done a lot of great things in three years. (laughs) I know. And then uh, it's, but then it says, and then uh, Bob went to to Spain maybe or Europe. You went to study with uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. But there's a lot of great. Like, how do you just? Oh, how do you discover it in, in at 18? How do you implement it at 18? And then go, okay, well now I'm just, now I'm studying no, with this person.
1: Okay, so it's a very interesting story, which I touch on in the book. I grew up in a very political family in the 1950s and 1960s in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. and I like to say my family was so political. That I knew I was a Democrat before I knew I was Jewish. (laughs) I did. So, you know, and so we were, we know John Kennedy, we talked about John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, how could he do that? And then when I was in high school, I'm going to get to TM in a moment. Fine. Give you a background. When I was in high school, I um, worked for Bobby Kennedy in California when he was running for the Democratic nomination for president. And I remember. Clearly, on June 1st, 1968, going to the San Francisco Civic Auditorium with 2,000 other people and hearing Bobby Kennedy speak and listening to Bobby Darren who sang, and thinking, looking around, it wasn't that I was a Republican or a Democrat. I thought, wow, I'm on to something. You know, I, I, I've always been interested in social transformation, equ- you know, equality among... That's just always been my thing growing up. And I thought, this is something significant. And then four days later, he was gone assassinated in L.A. So I went to Berkeley in September 1968 with the intention of going to law school and becoming a U.S. senator like Bobby Kennedy and changing laws. Because I thought, laws, legislation, that's how you get social transformation. Two months at Berkeley in 1968, when the polarization then made me realize that politics was never going to heal the soul of the nation. You might get stuff done, but at considerable cost. And Mm -hmm. I still believe in politics, just not my avenue. So then I thought education. I'm getting to TM. No, please. So I thought education. My mom was an educator. And I thought, I'll write educational curriculum to give, I was really concerned about inner city school kids, to give them tools that they could get from kindergarten on up to help them navigate an increasingly insane world even 50 years ago. So I'm going to school full-time. I'm working full-time. There are Vietnam War riots outside my door. Tanks parked outside my door. And I wasn't a druggie, and I wasn't a fanatic and a crazy person. I was just a guy who wanted to make a better world. I was stressed. So there was a I had a job at a Swenson's ice cream parlor. Oh,
0: that's hilarious. Swenson's. The best. I remember Swenson's. I
1: gave away more free ice cream (laughs) at Swenson's. (laughs) That's really fun.
0: Actually, just sort of hearing all that, like, okay, if I can't make laws, I'm going to give away ice cream. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) Anyway, so, but the the irony
1: of, you know, how serendipitous is how nature, you know, the universe works. So I'm going to school full-time. I'm working full-time. And uh, my dad wants me to work. So I'm... uh, and there was a guy there, Peter Stevens, who was normal, really good guy, not crazy. And there was something about him that was special. But, you know, uh, he wasn't. He was just there was something he had. A, he had an equanimity about him that I had not seen in anybody else. And I, I, I heard he did transcendental meditation. It was not a word in my vocabulary. My first thought was, I have enough issues with my own religion, right? And then uh, I talked to him about it. I went and heard a talk. The teacher said I could be 100% skeptical. I thought, I'll learn it. It's an hour a day over four days. If I don't like it, I'll quit. And one of my first experiences after I, from my first meditation was, oh, this is what I'm going to teach kids.
0: Oh, wow. So that was June 28,
1: 1969. So I, I went to you know finish my education and meditated. And then I heard that there was a, actually, I had one year left. I got credit. College credit to spend five months on a TM teacher training course, like sort of, and with Maharishi, who was great. He was a physicist by training and a great meditation teacher. And then I became a teacher, and I came back, and one of the first things I did is I went to the schools in San Francisco, these inner city schools, and I went to San Quentin Prison, and I taught inmates on death row. And I also later on taught it at Apple Computer and General Motors. But for, and I just continued to teach, but always in the back of my mind was, I want to bring this to kids. So 14 years ago, I was friends with David Lynch, who's been meditating almost as long as me, 40 plus years. I said, let's start a foundation. Let's raise money. Let's bring this to kids who need it the most. And now we got a million kids meditating.
0: When you're studying with, uh, with Maharishi, its it... Is it because I'm sure a lot of people have this sort of like very romantic idea in, in their mind about what that is. He just a guy that you're hanging out with, just having no, regular no, it's conversations. A really
1: great question. First of all, I was there with like thousand other people. It was like a big course from all over the world. There was a, there was a conference where they had there was Maharishi. And on his right was this fellow, Brian Josephson, who was a Nobel laureate in physics. Okay. And then next to him was a fellow named Dr. Ilya Prigogine, who was a Nobel laureate in, in biochemistry. And then on his left was a top priest, rabbi, and an imam. And they were, and Margie was in the middle, and they were talking about ultimate truths. Ultimate, like, what what's real beneath the veneer. You know, what does physics say? What is the ancient meditation text? And I sat there and I thought, my God, this could be any time. This could be Lautz, this could be the time of Plato, Socrates, any time in history when people were trying to go, what are the deep, immutable truths of life? So being around Maharishi, people thought, oh he was he was never this like guru type person. He he was just Wise, wise beyond, and insightful, and kind, and uh, uh, knew as much about physics and as much about the ancient truth. So it was a, and I had over forty years. I had an opportunity to go back many times and be around him, study, work. So, yeah, it was remarkable.
0: What are they talking about on that panel? Like, what what are they? I mean, okay, you say
1: beautiful, beautiful
0: question? Beautiful question. So,
1: in the. Um, in the Bible, it says, uh, Seek ye the kingdom of heaven is within you, and seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all else will be added unto thee. And Buddhist philosophy talks about, or or Chinese philosophy talks about, this field, this deep u- underlying field of unity. Um, quantum physics talks about a unified field, that <laughs> und- and that Einstein spent the latter years of his life Okay, we see atoms Is at, are atoms the ultimate building blocks of the universe? well it turns out not, there's particles and it turns out there's something deeper and it turns out there's something deeper and then it turns out there's four fields gravity, electromagnetism mm-hmm. um, weak interaction, strong interaction and then what's underneath that so this quest to know to, just a human quest to know what's, what's under, where'd this come from they were talking about the same things that the people, these ancient you know, spiritual texts were talking about. So Marji was just sort of navigating this fascinating conversation because the ancient texts say... I know it's a long answer. It's the long. ancient texts say you can access that field at the quietest level of your own consciousness because quantum physics doesn't say that. Quantum physics says you'll never ever access that field of unbounded power, energy, creativity that gives rise to the whole universe. But the ancient meditation texts say the human brain is that instrument, properly cultured, that you can access that. And when you access it, not only do you know who you are, that's know thyself, but you know, you know the truth of life. So it was wonderful, amazing
0: conversations. I mean, when you come back to teach that... I don't. I should come back and teach a technique that gives people... You do, but you do teach a technique, but essentially you're giving people a key to unlock yes, whatever that is yes, in themselves. Yes. And you're obviously, you know, y- you, especially if you're, how old are you, like at 20 at that point? or eight, 21. Tw- yeah, 21. 21, so you're, so you're, you hadn't totally solidified yet. But here you are, this young impressionable guy who's just brimming with like, oh, I think I figured something out. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think this is, the, this is the way there. Although, so how much have how much has your meditation evolved? Is it, does it still feel like the same experience as it always felt? Or do you feel like it, it grows, you go deeper, you've gone deeper than you've ever been? Or does it just always... No, it's a wonderful question. It definitely
1: deepens, but what changes most dramatically is my life. It's like you want to water you water a little sapling and you water it, maybe you put a little less, but you water it, you water it, and now the little sapling's got bark and a trunk. And now it's got leaves and now it's got flowers and now it's got fruit and now it's bigger and bigger. You're doing the same thing. You just the same. basically you're watering the root. You're putting water on dirt. You're nourishing that plant at its roots, at its core, at the level of the sap, and the results are huge. So I find from my, my meditations are great. I enjoy them. They're fine. When I got a lot going on, I wrote a book. You have a, I have a lot of thoughts. I don't care that even in a shallow dive you get wet. There's still that settling down. But for me, the transformation is how I live my life you know the insight the quiet the calm because the ocean i use that analogy the ocean is not either the waves or the silence the ocean is both the ocean is it's not either or right so i am both that surface i got oh my god i gotta gotta mind but i'm also that unbounded infinite eternal silence that is within me and within everyone else that's what changes and that's where the satisfaction grows in life. Does that make
0: sense? It does make sense. And it also for people who want to learn or study if they don't necessarily have the resources wherever they live, like where because I when I started learning I and I'm so glad that I had Lynn as an instructor. Lynn Kaplan fabulous teacher. Amazing. Yeah. Because loves you. Oh, I think she's great. Yeah. I I really I adore her. And yeah. and I, I will go in you know, people go like, oh, do you have to, have to keep paying money? I'm like, no, no. It's not, I'm telling you, it's not a pyramid yeah. scheme. But um, it's it, so,
1: it's <laughs> like the branding on TM is so abysmal. I think the it's changing, though. It's, it's definitely. Believe me, over 50 years. Yeah, saying, you know, oh, it's yeah, definitely yeah, changing. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, um, you know, something that I experienced early on was that when I would shut my eyes, some of my most stressful thoughts would just bubble to the surface. And it was, you know, it was a little unpleasant at first. And being able to work with her to understand techniques like, you know, here's how you can, here's how you can get around that. Here's how yeah, you process yeah. it. Here's how you deal with it. Because, you know, if someone who's listening just goes, fine, I'll shut my eyes. And then it either doesn't feel good or it isn't this or it isn't that or it doesn't meet their expectations. I just don't want people to immediately go, well, I tried that once. No, I don't going uh, to do it anymore. No,
1: and the thing that's interesting is people go nuts. They say, well, why is it? We can talk about the money in a moment. Why is it you don't need a teacher and just take a sound and just do it yourself? It's such a trivialization of what the power of what meditation can be. Like it's just thinking some, repeating some sound. But to actually transcend, you can't see my hand, but I'm like diving. To actually access those quieter levels of the mind, it helps enormously to have a guide, a teacher. If you want to learn how to swim, it helps to have a teacher. If you want to learn to play violin, you have a teacher. It just... Teachers are like... That's life. It's good to have a teacher. And in transcendental meditation, you'd have a teacher. It takes about an hour a day over four days. It, it, he or she is your own teacher. will give you a mantra, which is a word or a sound that has no meaning, that's over 7,000 years old. It's been used for thousands of years for this diving within. And then teach you how to use it properly. And as you said, that you have a teacher, Lynn or myself or anybody, for the rest of your life. There's no do's anytime time in the world if you have a question. And it's not just swimming on the surface. Meta TM is not just a thing where I'm just repeating a sound or watching my breath. Those are focused attention, open monitoring, as I said during my science alerts at the beginning of the conversation.
0: <laughs> That's your podcast, by the way, Science
1: Alert with Bob Roth. <laughs> Anyway, so, so it helps to, it's, it's wonderful to have a teacher
0: and have a teacher for the rest of your life. And, and, and I think it's also learning how to, I mean, like, would you rather be the passenger of your life or the driver of your life? man. You know? Yes. And, and, and I did find that after I started, there were situations that I feel like I would have been reactive to that I was able to feel some separation from and go, okay, you know, is this thing that happened in traffic? Maybe not that big of a deal. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And if the amygdala,
1: which is the fear center or the fight or flight, if that's if that's like a fire alarm in your brain that's going on all the time, hyper aroused all the time, react, 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 fear, fear, fear. Then you are overreacting to everything. Something happens to you at nine in the morning that pissed you off. Well now at six in the afternoon it's you're still raging. And the people you're meeting with at 6 in the afternoon had nothing to do with that. Right. Are the beneficiaries of your, (laughs) uh, quote-unquote, beneficiaries. So I love to do it, even though it's a little too science-alerty. But I love to say that when you're talking about these changes, it's not, oh, you've adopted a new philosophy of life. The same thing, if suddenly you can bench press 100 pounds or 200 pounds, it's because your muscles are stronger. If you're not overreacting, it's because your brain is functioning the way it should function, not distorted by stress and tension and fatigue and trauma.
0: And I also think that our... Is anybody still listening? Yes, of course they are. I I guarantee you that that they're... And one of the reasons why I was so... Well, first of all, I just wanted to meet you and say thank you. And then also, I know that there are a percentage of people out there, and this I don't know what the number is, but I know that there are a percentage of people out there they are going to hear this... And it's going to click like it's just the right time yeah, for them to yeah. hear it. And it's going to dramatically change their lives, which is why, you know, which is why it's important for me to yeah. it's wonderful to, that to share you, this.
1: It's wonderful you use this platform that you've built up because of your own integrity and your own creativity and your own truthfulness that to, to answer, to bring out these points. It's
0: great. Well, yeah, because I, I it. it Nothing changes. Dangerous people- levels of stress, and and, and that are, are are happening in the world. And I do think that something really nice happens when you do things for yourself. because even just on the from the the standpoint of, oh, I deserve something good. I'm doing something for myself because I think I deserve that. Because most people don't think they deserve good things, and most people will destroy anything that's good because they don't, you know, and they don't even realize they're the catalyst of their own destruction because subconsciously somewhere someone told them they were a piece of shit in their lives and they just, like that's cemented like we talked about and so they just think this is what I deserve, this is what I deserve. There's an amazing book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score and that is... <laughs> I <love> the title.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, The Body Keeps the Score and that is talking about stress and trauma that you can have something happen to you when you're in grade school, at home, something happens in life that is actually traumatic. That you've forgotten, it's washed from your memory, but it's not washed from your body. Right. That etching, that engravement, that stress, that trauma is there, and that skews. That's what makes us not react. You know, it's like not trust a relationship. You know, repeatedly make the same mistakes in a relationship, or repeatedly. Be self-deprecating when not necessarily, whatever, have self-doubt. Because the nervous system, the brain, the whole system is not functioning in an integrated, healthy way. It's been twisted. And then when the brain is twisted, when those stresses are there, then the way I see my world is is twisted. So the lovely thing, this is why in, in many ways, and therapy is valuable, but TM is incredibly valuable often in concert is it gets allows the body to take this state of rest deeper than sleep and those knots of stress are unstressed unwound right and then you're like free to think more clearly and you're free to look carefully at oh my behavior i behave this i keep reacting in the same kind of worn out way i don't think i want to do that anymore whereas if you're just in a lockdown mode you never even come to that realization. You so know what I mean?
0: So we talked a little bit about that, you know, teaching at-risk youth uh, uh, meditation, but why that's important, what the effect what, what are the the effects is that that has on kids. So people go, "Well, what what's the big deal? You teach them how to meditate a little bit, but the statistics are astounding."
1: So I want to go back just for a moment and sure. revisit what what we were talking about about yeah. this helps at-risk kids um, something I wanted to tell you. So uh, Two years ago, the University of Chicago, they have a crime and education lab, which is one of the premier research institutions in the country for ways to reduce crime among youth in particular. And one of the things they look to do is to reduce arrests for violent crime among um, urban youth. In the summer months, that's when they're out of school, because if a child, if a kid gets arrested, then they're in the school-to-prison pipeline, it destroys their lives, it destroys family lives, it destroys the whole community. So um, two years ago, the University of Chicago put out a request for any organization in Chicago if they had a, an answer, something to do to reduce violent crime. 230 organizations submitted proposals. They selected three. David Lynch Foundation was one of three. The first year, they gave us $300,000 to do a pilot study. Most of the money goes for the research. The results were so good, last year they increased it to, they gave an additional million dollars, and the results were so significant. This year, they increased it to $1.6 million to study 2,000 kids. Not only did they find grades went up, graduation rates went up, suspensions and expulsions went down, but really significantly... If I put it this way, if they if if they do an intervention to reduce arrests for violent crime in the summer among this population of teens, and they reduces it five percent, they consider it successful. The meditating teens—that means they meditated during the summer when school was not in session—there was an eighty-four percent reduction in arrests for violent crime.
0: And what do they attribute that to?
1: Reduce stress, wake calming the amygdala. Waking up the prefrontal cortex, making better decisions, not being so reactive. Not be, because why does it... First of all, most of those kids, when they do something violent, they're often on drugs. And why are they on drugs? They're self-medicating themselves from the trauma and the tension and the stress of their lives. So if you give them a tool that calms the amygdala, which is the, the fight or flight, reduces the cortisol, wakes up the executive functioning in the brain, they're more self-sufficient, they're more self-referral. They don't go along with the crowd. They're happier themselves. So they don't take drugs, and they don't get in harm's way. That, those findings were so significant that the federal government gave several hundred thousand dollars to the crime lab to teach more kids to meditate. And now what we're doing in New York City is we're about to replicate that study with 4,000 kids in public schools in New York. And if we find the same results, it could well mean that these are Title I funds. Title I means um, schools below the poverty level. And there's, bil- there's millions of kids that way. Um, that Transcendental Meditation could be available for free to every child in these schools. It will change you will save a generation.
0: Where do where should people people go to the David David Lynch Foundation? Website?
1: I think what they can do is two different things. They can go to the David Lynch Foundation dot org, David Lynch Foundation dot org. Um, they can um, go to tm dot org. Or I'm going to do something here, which is, it'll kill me. I'm going to give you my email address. What? My real email address. You're
0: re- you're giving out your I real. Am,
1: I am. And you can email me, and I will put you in touch with. You, what you have to do is tell me where you live. Say, Don't say, I really want to learn to meditate. I, you know, um, Say, I live in this town. I really would like to meditate, and I'll, I'll put you in the direction of a teacher. That's very nice and of you. And the email address is bob at davidlinchfoundation.org. I trust you.
0: How- bob at davidlinchfoundation.org. <laughs> David How did on. you come up with that email address? It's almost
1: like default, default. mode network. I yes, mean, it's like exactly. as creative as that was. <laughs> A panel of people. That's right. We think, all right, what does the brain do when it defaults
0: default <laughs> mode network? Okay. As Bob <laughs> at the David Lynch Foundation, what is it that you're joyful about in the world? I mean, obviously, I know you're passionate about TM. I know you're passionate about bringing TM to to children and people who are at risk. But but what what about you personally? Like, what's something that you like? What do you like? It could be like, oh, I like a hot dog at this one place, or I like a thing. It okay, be okay. I'm going
1: to tell you. It's This going to, I really. This is going to be strange. I've discovered mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime. Yep. Documentaries of the Hubble Telescope.
0: <laughs> wow! <laughs> Multiple documentaries. Mind
1: blowing. The universe. I, I I don't know. Maybe as I'm just getting older. It's like I I have a moment to sort of observe. It's like. Trillion, think about it, trillions of miles and growing across. There's in our galaxy, this just like I just think it's just on fat in our and this actually it helps me because when I am watching the news and I think this is insane and uh, what's going on. And then I watch this and go, oh, hmm. <laughs> Earth has been here for four billion years, you know. But here's the thing, here's the deal. In our galaxy, which is a small galaxy, there are a hundred billion stars the size of the sun. Mm -hmm. There are, in the universe, there are several hundred billion galaxies. (laughs) Right. That's big. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff out there. That is a lot of stuff. And I love nature. So I love seeing the intelligence of nature. So then I start watching, this is like totally boring. No, 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 no. I love watching sort of like, you look at what, like a gnat you know these mic these huge telescopes. I mean m- microscopes where you can see the sophistication yeah. of that little head on yeah. the net or this bug, and I just think nature, geez Louise, <laughs> <laughs> like
0: beyond the beyond. What a showboat nature! I get <laughs> no, it. It's, it's just like so that. I mean, that. What else do I like to do? But do you, but let me ask you about this. Do you ever think about the? Oh, this, is just, this just sounds like we're in... I don't want to sound like a 7th grader who just smoked pot for the first time. But you think about the expanse of the universe. And then you think about what happens when you quiet your mind and the sort of universe that opens up. And the, according to the... This is such great questions. Well, honest, honest,
1: honest. Thank honest, you. Honest. The ancient texts say that the deepest level of human nature and the deepest level of nature's nature are the same. So you can access that unified field. This is the theory. What physics calls a unified field from where all these galaxies emerge and the deepest level of your own nature, that unbounded awareness, is the same and that you actually can access. It's like the seed. You see a redwood tree that's like Two thousand years old, yeah. all emerges from that same little seed. So you can access that field from within yourself, and that is, that is human potential to b- express the create the same creative intelligence that you see in nature within yourself. So it's a it's a theory. It's interesting but I like it.
0: Yeah. yeah I like well, I I, I I mean, just the connection point yes. of just thinking how that expansive and everything is yeah. and then thinking about how boundless the mind feels when yes. you can get down yes. into that, yes. that it's just this like, you know, near infinite well. And
1: you are accessing that and then your life is fluid and simple and elegant and powerful and fulfilling and you, you give, you're able to give maximum back to the world and you're just in tune. There's a, we can conclude with I'll tell you two stories from sure. Maharishi which I talk about in, I think in a book um, so a reporter was asking um, Maharishi, he said uh, you like oversell TM <laughs> you like dial it back a little bit you know there's been violence and stress and you know suffering in, in the world since time's immemorial you know eh little much and and you say the TM transcending forget TM is like a, that accessing that silence within can transform lives, and he said, and and that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So he said, you can have a, a, a room that's been dark for one night, and you can have a room that's been dark for a thousand years, and you turn on a flashlight in both rooms, and the darkness disappears. It doesn't take. <laughs> three seconds longer for that other room. So in that, his perspective is human beings have not been accessing that inner birthright, that we are part of nature. We have access to that same creative intelligence which is displayed in the universe. If you're not using that, life is hell, and look around. But if you access that, life lights up life is in in enlightenment so the last thing is so i think that was a lovely sort of thing.
0: and also it sort of gives you a sense that to be a wise man you have to answer questions to snarky people yeah. you have to give great answers because yeah. it's always well someone asked this person they're like oh that was the perfect answer for yeah. that then yeah. then that that's a so, person so so the wise same person.
1: reporter said at the end he said well well why is there so much suffering in the world and maharishi said because it was literally said, "Because everything is as it should be." And then the reporter said, "Well, then, why are you working so hard to change things?" And Maharishi said, "Because everything is as it should be."
0: Oh, and did that reporter shut up after that? No, because the reporter that was quite a meditating. Oh, that's great. I taught the reporter. To <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Does he yeah. still meditate? Yeah. He's the AP reporter
1: from Amsterdam.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I can't thank you enough for letting me come to your office, giving out your email giving us... Bob at org. ...more than enough science alerts and, <laughs> and, and, a, and a science alert that I feel like you should be implementing into your own Success Without Stress, which uh, which is on... What channel is that on Sirius?
1: One oh, oh, one, 121 now, I think. It's on Indie Channel
0: 121.
1: Gotcha. That, did, they we, moved it. Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, Gotcha, yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha.
0: And, uh, and and is there a website for that as well? Or is...
1: No, but uh, I don't think so. But it's Bob at DavidLynchFoundation.org. You can go to davidlynchfoundation.org to see the work we're doing, tm.org for just more information about TM, but write me and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction.
0: And I think success without stress could be in a, a book Yeah. because I yeah. think those words together, Yeah. no one teaches you, like we always prepare people for failure, but we <laughs> never prepare people for success. And they're both, they can both be equally stressful. Yeah. And so I think... That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> Jesus. So I think... Jesus. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> you know, teaching people that... And also defining what success is. Yeah. What you, what's your metric for success and what does it mean to you? And then once that you sort of have that in place, how you process it and, and deal with
1: it. Again, that same reporter, funnily enough, you asked this. So a reporter asked Marshy... What's you know like? What's your measure of success? And he said, two hundred percent of life, hundred percent outer, comfort, progress, and a hundred percent inner, silent consciousness, development of consciousness. One without the other is not successful life.
0: Fantastic! Thank you so much for being in your own office. <laughs> Thank you, Thank for, you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming. And no more science alerts. Science alerts. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito. ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.